Good to see you today. Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 4. I'm sorry? 20 verses, Lord willing. Mark 4, verses 1 through 20, God willing. They all go together, so let's read our passage before we begin today, and then we'll uh, dig into it. Hear the word of the Lord. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some, fell, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then... When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. This is God's word, his inerrant, and his authoritative word. May he bless what we've read, and let's pray for his help now as we look into this parable. Jesus, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, we need uh, understanding to uh, comprehend what's going on in this parable. And so, uh, Father, I pray you'd send your spirit among us, that he would quicken our hearing, that he would quicken me as I preach, strengthen us all together, Savior, and may we hear from you through your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A Native American Indian was in downtown 
it's black. Is it black behind me? There's your stair. Uh, yeah, Native Indian was in downtown. Can one of you guys turn on the camera back there for the back screen? There we go. Thank you, man. I'm sure they'll get it. Anyway, back to this Native American who's in downtown New York City, visiting his friend who lived in Manhattan, and suddenly this, this uh, fellow said, I hear a cricket. His friend replied, you're crazy. No, I hear a cricket. I'm sure of it. And his friend replied, it's lunchtime. There are people all over the place, cars honking, taxis squealing, all kinds of city noises. There's no way. I'm sure I do. He listened uh, attentively uh, and then walked to the corner, crossed the street, and looked around. And finally, he found a shrub in a large cement planter, dug beneath the leaves, and found a cricket. His friend was astounded. But this gentleman, who happened to be a Cherokee Indian, replied, No, my ears are no different than yours. I'm, it simply depends on what you're listening to. Here, let me show you. And he reached into his pocket and pulled out a handful of change, a few quarters, some dimes, nickels, and pennies, and he dropped them on the sidewalk. And every head within the block turned to look. You see what I mean, he said, and began picking up his coins. It all depends on what you're listening for. Well, Jesus tells this crowd uh, seated before him that they need specially tuned hearing like this gentleman did. They must be given ears to hear spiritual truth. And that without this finely tuned hearing, they won't be able to grasp the things he was saying. Verse 9, if you look in your Bible, says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this reoccurs down in verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And this same principle is operating in this room right now. Unless God gives you ears that hear, you could listen to me all day long and still not understand what his word is saying. You and I must be given ears that hear. So how can we acquire this kind of hearing to not only hear but also understand the things that Jesus says? Ears that not only hear God's word but also grasp the truth that it contains. How do we get ears to hear spiritual truth? This is what our passage reveals. And as we examine the three parts of this passage, we'll discover how we can acquire this finely tuned hearing. As we study these three um, parts, we'll find out how to get ears to hear. In the first part of this parable, uh, we hear the parable stated. Jesus summons the crowd to hear a parable about four kinds of soil. Let me point out three things uh, to you in this first part. Uh, the first thing I want you to see is the setting, where it takes place. Look at verse 1 again. And again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, 
so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Jesus has left his home or his home base in Capernaum. Uh, we saw him teaching in his home last week. Remember, it was so crowded that they couldn't. He and his disciples couldn't even eat. Well, he's he's left his home again and, and gone to one of his nearby favorite places uh, to go, and that's alongside the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, scholars have discovered between Capernaum and the mouth of the Jordan River here uh, a cove uh, where the beach rises quickly up from the shore, uh, and it forms kind of a amphitheater with acoustics that would have been perfect for this setting. That's probably the kind of place that they're gathered, if you can imagine that in your mind. And, and this time, Jesus is preaching from a boat that's just a little ways out into the sea. Last week, or back in chapter 3, the disciples had this ready for him because of the crowd, and it was on standby. Here we see him actually using this, uh, seated as any rabbi would, that was their teaching position, and uh, speaking to those people who are kind of in this beach amphitheater before him, kind of a sand dune, if you can uh, picture that. But look at the last phrase of verse 1. And this is curious, given what's com what comes later in our passage. It says, And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And that could say, on the soil. Because it's the same word that we'll see so many times later. It's the same word that he uses for soil later on. And so Mark is kind of giving us a crack, giving us a, a glimpse, kind of a preview. And through his choice of language, he's picturing Jesus as the sower, seated in this boat uh, out on, on the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd before him, this large crowd, represents all the different kinds of soils that he's going to be talking about. There's someone in the crowd, uh, kind of every kind of soil that's represented, as, as, as we'll see later. Uh, he is the sower. This is the setting of the parable, alongside the Sea of Galilee, uh, yet again teaching the crowd. But then as we go further, uh, we move on from the setting to the actual statement of the parable. And this is, comes in, in verse 2. Um, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. Listen introduces the theme of hearing. This theme of finely tuned hearing, the theme of hearing and grasping spiritual truth. This theme is, is uh, mentioned, I think it's 13 times between here and verse 34. If Anytime you see the word here, it's the same Greek root as this uh, command, listen, akuo. Uh, so this is a parable, really, about listening and hearing. And then the actual parable begins in verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. 
And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now as you hear this, this might sound like a very inefficient way to, to sow seed. Why is he wasting so much seed on ground that won't produce? But the four types of soil that I just read about could probably all be found within the range of this farmer's arm. He's not using a spreader like you and I often use to spread grass seed in the springtime. He's not poured it in that little plastic thing with wheels and pushing it back and forth or, or anything remotely like that. Uh, he's, he's grabbing a handful of seed from his bag slung over his shoulder, and he's flinging them out in front of them, probably not, something just like that, and forward, and the, some of the seed goes from side to side as well. And within the range of his arm are probably all four kinds of soils. The fields in Israel we're not like you're used to seeing. Um, I have driven through Indiana so many times, and wow, it is boring. It's so flat, and, you know, cornfield after cornfield with neat rows, and uh, doesn't get exciting until you come to the, to the big, huge windmills. That's a little interesting. Uh, but this is not like that. These fields in Israel, again, Israel is, can be rather mountainous, not unlike North Georgia in places. And the fields are, are long and narrow. And they're connected and intersected by footpaths trampled by the farmer and others and his livestock. And in doing so, these footpaths are beaten hard as a rock. And, of course, seed sown there, you know, and as he broadcasts the seed out, devoured by birds, because it can't sink in. And right next to this footpath, there might be a section of rocky soil. Most of the land in Israel, the topsoil is about two or three inches deep, and then there's a bedrock of limestone, and seeds tossed on that soil may, might shoot up, but wither almost as fast, because... They're not able to put down roots. And then maybe on the other side of the field uh, was an un uncultivated strip of thorns and weeds. When we moved into our uh, property, our house, 23 years ago, our backyard was wild North Georgia, uncultivated, and, and poison ivy and thorns. And Christy had the poison ivy, and I had the scratches to prove all the, all the stuff. And so near this field is probably, probably a strip of this. But then beyond that, there's probably a strip of land that, that had been previously used. It looks uh, better, uh, and, and the farmer would probably try to concentrate throwing his seed in this section 
And after he tossed it out, he would bring out his plow, not like our modern plows. He doesn't have one attached to the back of the John Deere, at least not in this time, to, to uh, plow up the rows. Uh, in our era, they usually do that ahead of time. Um, but what he tries to do is uh, get out. Sometimes it's just a pointed stick. And he tries to break up the soil and turn it, if he's able to, so that this seed wouldn't just lay on top and again be eaten by birds. This seed would be turned and actually be able to fall into the good soil. And, and then if the seed received uh, the rain it needed and the sun it needed, uh, the farmer could ho hope to harvest ten times of what he had sown. But this farmer... He has an abundant harvest, 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. And so in his commentary on, on Mark, R.C. Sproul refers to a, a Bible scholar who saw just this very thing. Uh, not a four different spread out kinds of soil, but they were all right there. And he walked through them. Listen to what he says. One scholar tells of going to Galilee where this parable originally was given and seeing a place where the soil was packed down because people had walked back and forth, ridden donkeys and so on. Alongside this pathway were thorns and bushes and then there was a section where it was very stony, but just beyond the stony section, this scholar reported there was a lush green field where a fine crop was growing. And he, the scholar, said to himself, I've just lived the parable of the sower. I've walked on the very kind of ground Jesus described. And while this kind of field is not familiar to you and I, it would have been very familiar to the crowd on these sand dune bleachers seated in front of him. Everyone uh, on the shore would have immediately identified with the kind of field he was describing. And so the second thing we hear is Jesus state the parable of the soils, of a farmer uh, broadcasting a seed and, and the four kinds of soils that the seeds would land on. But then Jesus goes on to say something very curious. Look at verse 9. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now what in the world does that mean? And with these words, Jesus introduces the element of suspense into the parable. He's, he's uh, attempting to raise their curiosity. What does this mean? Is he speaking to the people down at the bottom? Let him who has ears to hear. You guys listen well, and you go tell the people at the top who can't hear me so well. Uh, you listen well, nothing like that. With these words, uh, Jesus indicates that there's something more to the story. There, this is not just about a farmer sowing seed and the kind of soil it lands on. There's something more. There's something beneath the surface, if you will. And, and further, he indicates that only those with ears to hear, only those with finely tuned hearing will be able to hear it. 
So Jesus rounds out this first part of our passage with, with suspense. This is the parable stated. The setting and the statement of the parable. And then this element of suspense. So we go on. We, in the second part of our uh, passage, we see the parable revealed. It's stated and then it's revealed. God reveals the secret of the kingdom to his followers. Let me point out two things about this uh, second part. And what we see first is curiosity. And Jesus' last statement that I just read in verse 9 has aroused the curiosity of some. Uh, the, uh, aroused the curiosity about what this means. Notice verse 10. And when he was alone, see the large crowd has, has gone. The bleachers are empty. The sand dune bleachers are empty. Those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. Uh, the 12 and several other of his disciples stayed behind with him on the beach. And they stay behind because they want to know what this is about. And see, they've understood that there's something more here. There's something beneath the surface, something more than meets the eye. This is not just a story about a farmer tossing seed into the field. So they asked him. Their curiosity's been aroused. And then comes something really, really significant. It comes the revelation. And we find that these disciples are able to understand because it's been revealed to them by God. Look at verse 11. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Their understanding of the kingdom. Remember when Jesus first came out in, in, in Mark 1? Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here in his person he was uh, referring to. And so they're just, his disciples' understanding of the kingdom and their identification of Jesus as the king and their grasp of entrance into his kingdom and their ability to understand anything related to God's rule has been given to them. It has been revealed to them. But to those outside, to those who had yet to throw in their lot with Jesus, the things about God's kingdom and the identification of Jesus as the king, these are still a complete mystery. As verse 11 goes on to show, uh, in the middle, it says, but for those outside, that we saw that term last week. Do you re recall? Last week, it referred to the, the scribes and even Joseph's, uh, Jesus' family. Those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, some of these Later, we'll see, do hear, and are given understanding. But at this point in time, uh, even his family fall into this category of those outside. 
And this means that if you understand who Jesus Christ is, the very Son of God, the King, it's because God gave you that understanding. And if you grasp the significance of his death on the cross, his payment for sin, that he died as a substitute for sinners, it's because God revealed to you the significance of his death on the cross. And if you came to realize that your own sin required a payment, and if you have placed your faith in Jesus and, and trusted in his payment for sin, it's because the Lord opened your heart to believe. Just as he did with Lydia in Acts chapter 16. Uh, as it happened to Lydia in the city of Philippi, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to the things said by Paul. That same thing had to take place in you and me. That very thing must take place in anyone for them to grasp the truth about Jesus Christ and, and his payment for sin. And, and beyond coming to know Christ as our Savior and Lord, God must open our eyes and ears for us to understand any spiritual truth. It's not just for you to plop open in your Bible and immediately you'll absorb whatever comes. Somebody just got paid today. It has to be revealed. Consider what his word says. And if you're holding out on this, I understand. But listen to what the word says. John uh, 3.27. This is John the Baptist speaking. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Well, Pastor Rob, that's not about spiritual truth. That's about Jesus' popularity and John's waning popularity. You're right, it is. Jesus is getting more and more followers, and John's followers are trickling away. But what does John say? A person, he's referring to Jesus here, cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. We know that this principle is broader than just what's going on between Jesus and John. Because in James it says every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. You remember that passage? And this is a statement, uh, a quite wide statement about God's complete rule and reign, his sovereignty. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And this certainly includes spiritual truth and understanding about who Christ is and the ability to hear his word and not just hear it, but get it. And so Paul says to the church at Corinth, oh man, they thought they were sweet. Mm, 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 mm. And so Paul has to say this, and this is, you can hear him kind of doing a head waddle when he does it. Boy, that kind of hurts. And, and he says, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? 
just kind of a restatement of what John the Baptist said. Do you have anything not given to you from above? Then how can you possibly be so cocksure about it and, and say that you didn't receive it from above? Everything. Not even one thing. Uh, you know, Jesus said this about his teaching on divorce. Uh, back in Matthew 19, I don't have this on a slide, but he said to them, uh, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. And we can go on and we can point to Ephesians 1:17 and 18 where Paul states this principle somewhat somewhat longer way that the God of, uh, he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. It must be revealed to us. And then I think finally, uh, yeah, a couple times in Psalm 119, more than just the two I'm putting up here, where the psalmist prays, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Now, it's true that the psalm writer could open the word, unroll the scroll, more likely, at any time and look at his word, but he's praying for the very thing Jesus is talking about. He's praying, he's using the metaphor of his eyes instead of his ears in this case, but it's the same idea. Lord, uh, uh, open my heart to pay attention to what your word says. Open my eyes, or we could just as easily say, open my ears, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. He prays for this again and again, but this in time in 73, your hands have made and fashioned me, give me understanding. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Listen to Dr. R.C. Sproul explain this. The only people who embrace the word of God, this is you and me. The only people who embrace the word of God are those who have first been changed by the Holy Spirit, making them able to receive the word of God. The Holy Spirit has to change a person's heart before he will ever say yes to Jesus. It's what we saw with Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to the things being said by Paul. For 57 years, Steve Henning of Huntley, Illinois, could not hear music, laughter, or human speech. Even though he lived a full life, he still longed to hear the voices of, of the people he loved. And so in the winter of 2001, he learned of a surgical procedure that would allow sound waves to bypass the non-functioning part of his ear and travel directly to the auditory nerve. On January 30th, he was operated on, and because the implanted device could not be activated until the swelling in the ear decreased, doctors and Steve didn't know for six weeks if the operation was successful. Finally, the six weeks were up. As Steve waited nervously, the audiologist programmed the cochlear implant. Then he invited Steve's wife to say something. 
And Pat, his wife, leaned toward her husband and gently said, I love you. And Steve broke into a smile, able to hear for the first time in six decades. We must be given this kind of implant uh, from God's Holy Spirit so we can hear, so we can pay attention to what the Word of God says. It must be given to us. It is. It must be revealed. Our eyes have to be open to it. Has that happened to you? You could probably. Some of you could probably remember the very point in time. I was too young to remember the point in time. I wish I could. I was a, a little kid and. I had never heard anything like this. I didn't know my ears needed to be opened. I just wanted Jesus to wash my sins away. Has, has it dawned on you? Is, is there some, some point where you heard, you really heard? This is what must happen. And this is what Jesus explains to, to you, it's been given. The secret of the kingdom of God, how people get into it. But for those outside, everything is still quite foggy. Well, he goes from this revelation, uh, describing it has to be given to them. He actually goes on to explain what the parable is about. And this is in verses 13 through 20. And there are three things I'd like to say about his explanation. I, I want you to see here. It's about different kinds of soil, which really is about um, different kinds of hearts. This explains why he's gotten such a mixed reception, why the scribes just can't stand him, and why some people, his disciples, can't get enough of him. He goes on to explain this. First thing we see here is uh, rather odd. It's sluggishness from the disciples. Look at verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And there's, you know, a mild rebuke here in these words, of course, with this very direct question. Um, the disciples have been given understanding, but this doesn't mean they understood everything right away. And if you've read the rest of Mark, you would say, and how, wow, and how. I mean, they did not get it. Uh, or they got a good bit of it, but they didn't get it all by no means. And Jesus really has to, you know, kind of really push him on. What's, what's the deal with you guys? They were slow to pick up on many things. And, and unfortunately, the same could probably be said for many of us seated here today. Myself, uh, probably the leader of the pack. Uh, Jesus said this to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. You'll remember these words. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So his disciples understood, but not all at once. 
we see their sluggishness. They kind of drag their feet spiritually. But then Jesus goes on to, to explain the seed uh, that has been sown. Look in verse 14. The sower sows the word. Uh, the seed that's scattered uh, and that was scattered by him on the beach was the word of God. The good news of the kingdom as Jesus described it and the call to repent and believe, the call to turn from their sin and their previous lifestyles and to believe in his kingship, in his reign. This would eventually include the news about his payment for sin on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and the, the need for personal faith in his atoning death. That the, the, the word would soon come to include that, but he calls them uh, to respond to the word. And, and notice Christ sows the seed indiscriminately. You know, he's not, he's not going like that. He's just broadcasting the seed of the word everywhere. He's hitting everybody on that, uh, the, the sand dune bleachers with his word. They're all sprayed. And, and that's how we're called to distribute the word <coughs> as widely as we can. We, we don't have to know what kind of soil uh, the person is that we're talking to. Say, do you feel hard-hearted today? I mean, I just need to know before. I'm... He just calls us to to spread it out, and 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 we don't need to be concerned with that. So we see the the seed is the word, and then he goes on lastly to describe the soils. He describes four different kinds, and there's obviously no room here. So let me go to another slide and put these underneath here. And the first is the soil along the path. Look at verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. The soil along the path, again, beaten hard as stone from foot traffic and livestock, represents those with hardened hearts. It describes those who are completely disinterested in hearing the word of God. There's a pastor named J.C. Ryle, and he kind of fills this in a little bit for us and describes it. He says, these are they who hear sermons but don't pay attention to them as they sit under the sound of it. They're taken up with thinking of other things. It produces no more effect on them than water on a stone. Feeling nothing, caring nothing, taking no more interest in religion than if Christ had never died on the cross at all. There's, there are people who are just hard, and I've stood up here and I've seen them out in front of me on a given Sunday uh, from time to time. There are these kinds among us. This is those that are sown along the path. And then the second kind of soil is... Uh, the soil on rocky ground, uh, uh, verse 16, describes this kind of soil. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This is the kind of person who's made a shallow, emotional commitment to Christ. 
they certainly appear to be a genuine believer. Verse 16 says that they receive the word with joy. But though they may appear to be genuine, when trouble arrives, and trouble is sure to arrive when we follow Christ, they fall away. They're offended. They're scandalized. And because their faith is shallow and superficial, they will turn back from following Christ. Again, I want you to hear J.C. Ryle describe this kind of soil too. He says, these are they on whom preaching produces temporary impressions, but no deep, lasting, and abiding effect. They can speak with apparent joy and enthusiasm about the sweetness of the gospel. They can be moved to tears by the appeals of preachers and, and talk with apparent earnestness of their own inward conflicts, hopes, struggles, desires, but there's no real work of the Holy Spirit within their hearts. They fade as rapidly as they grew. Their, their faith has no more life in it than the cut flower. It has no root and soon withers away. Funny thing about these cut flowers that I keep bringing home to my wife, they never last. It's because they're already dead. There's a little life left in them just from what's in the stem, but they're already cut off. So this raises the possibility. I don't know if you've thought of this. Some of the people we know are friends and family who profess to know Christ. Maybe some of us seated in this very room may not be believers at all. Their profession of faith, like the seed on rocky soil, could be shallow and superficial, might only be on the surface, but doesn't reach their hearts. And I wondered if you've ever thought of that. That somebody you know is not as they appear to be. I think what we tend to do is just hear them say, yes, I'm a Christian, and just take that as, as gospel truth. And it's not that we're to be judgmental or. But we are called to be wise. How we need to constantly look for fruit in ourselves, yes, of course, but also in the lives of our children. And I know the thrill it is for a parent to hear their child make a profession of faith in Christ. And we rejoice when that happens. But, you know, we sure, we sure don't fold up the case and stick it away, and there, that's done. We look for fruit. Yeah, so they said so, but let's see what grows up out of the ground. And sadly, in some cases, when our children have made a profession of faith in Christ, nothing grows out of the ground. And we know that they might have been caught up in the moment or they're doing it to please us, which they often do. And so how we need to look for fruit in our children's lives. And how we, if it's not there, 
And if we're able to, talk to them about it. You know, you made this profession of faith. You were even baptized, as I recall. But, uh, you know, you shaped up for a little while, but then it was back to the same old you. Son, I need you to, you know, God's Word says you're supposed to be bearing fruit and transforming into uh, who Christ looked like. Those are difficult conversations, but boy, we need to have them. And our friends who say, yeah, I, I, I know someone in my uh, sphere of influence, as we say, uh, professes to be a Christian. Oh, I know the Lord. But as I've spoken to this person who doesn't attend church here, by the way, uh, who's somebody I know out in the business world, um, you know, she says the right things. It's, I can't tell you who it is. <laughs> I almost did. Um, but it's not, you know, I, I'm, I'm suspicious. And so I try to be careful in how I talk and use conversations that keep pointing to Christ. These are these on rocky ground. You, you know them. You've, you've seen them. I sat across the table at lunch from one of this kind of soil who, oh, he, uh, he proclaimed how much he enjoyed uh, listening to my sermons, and, and now he is nowhere to be found. And, uh, you know, it's the, these things that come up that, that are hard, and they're gone. It's because the, the commitment was really kind of emotional or, or shallow. And so, you know, I, I say this, uh, I think this section of God's Word is really important for us to get a hold of because it helps us understand the people we interact with and how we need to grasp what this kind of soil is. And so when we're talking to these people, if, it, if it's a family member or, or a child or a friend, you know, we can have this in our mind. Hey, what's going on with this person? They say this, but so important. I, I, I want to raise your awareness of this, that some of the people in our lives may not be believers, may be uh, rocky soil. Let me press on. Uh, the next kind of soil is that among thorns. Look at verse 18 now. And others are the ones sown among thorns. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This uh, describes someone who professes to know Christ but has a divided heart. They make gestures toward Christ, but as it says, the cares of the world, or we could say the distractions of this age, draw them back. They're professing Christians whose loyalties are divided between Christ and the world. Now, I ask you to think carefully about this one, too. Because when I was growing up, this kind of Christian was completely acceptable. They were referred to, um, in my growing up years, as carnal Christians. And maybe you're familiar with that term. It means that they had trusted Christ but weren't walking with him. They were Christians, but weren't growing in their faith. Uh, they were believers, but they, had, they lived a worldly, fleshly lifestyle. 
And I remember people practically did backflips when one of these carnal Christians showed up on a Sunday morning. And I remember hearing things like, maybe the Lord is getting a hold of them, and they'll surrender their lives to Christ now. So they hoped. Have you, have you heard of them? Did you grow up hearing about this kind of person? I'm not sure how we could have missed these verses back then. But they are indeed printed in the Bible. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I know that we fight against this all the time. The point is that we fight against this. That we resist the desires of the world. And then even stronger, James 4, 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. How we miss that, I'm not sure how we miss that. Uh, and we do wage war against the world and the flesh and the devil. There, we are all the time fighting. But I agree with Dr. Sproul, who says this. There is simply no such thing as a Christian who is totally carnal. And so I'm going to ask you to consider this possibility. Is that person who made a profession of faith in Christ but then lives exactly the way they did or uh, reverts to some kind of former behavior, you've got to understand that they might not be a believer. Whatever they said, they're bearing bad fruit. Just, we just need to be aware. But then finally, we come to the good soil. Uh, fourth and finally, verse 20 uh, describes the good soil. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Like Lydia in Acts 16, this is the heart that has been opened to pay attention to God's word. This is the person whose eyes have been opened by the Spirit. This is the one whom the Spirit has given that finely tuned sense of hearing. This is the one with ears to hear. This is the person that not only hears the truth, but they grasp it and wholeheartedly accept it. <coughs> and please note further. This is the one who also bears fruit. Also bears fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And, and praise the Lord, these three numbers are here because it reveals that among believers, there will be different levels of spiritual growth and maturity. And so I think... I think you should just heave a sigh of relief if you're trying to follow the Lord Jesus and you see somebody way out ahead of you and it's discouraging and, and just 
rest in knowing that you're a 30-fold person. <laughs> but my friend, you're still bearing fruit. And that's what matters. There will be always those 100-fold people around us. Man, I hate them. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. But you know... And this says there will be varying levels. Uh, but there will be fruit. There will be fruit. And I would go so far as to say there must be fruit. Fruit necessarily must come if you are a follower of Christ. The fruit, what, what is that? Uh, it's laid out fairly clearly for us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And that temper that you have, it means that that temper you have, not looking at anyone in particular, but just as an example, if you've got a, a temper and you are prone to shoot off your mouth, then it means because of this word right here, and, and this one, too, that, that you might struggle with it ongoing, but it means it's, it's going to change. There will be a change of character in you. And second, there will be good works. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These things will come out of us if we're good soil, if the word has, uh, if when we accept it and, and it, it sinks down, because we've, we've been able to hear it, the Spirit's given us hearing ears, and, and the result is fruit pops up and, and works come out. And it must be there. This is the parable explained. Four different kinds of soil. And Jesus says some hearts are like soil along the path. They are hard as stone. And some are shallow and they fade away before you know it. And some are divided by, by the love of the world. But other hearts are open and receptive to God's word. And are like good soil that bears fruit. So how do we acquire this finely tuned hearing that we heard about at the very beginning? And, and not just hear God's word, but grasp it and understand what it says. And how do we get these ears that not only hear, but, but um, accept the truth and, and bear fruit? How do, we, how do we get hearing ears, ears that hear? And this is what this passage reveals and the three parts of it reveal, we've heard Jesus, we've heard the, the parable stated to begin with, and then he went on to talk about the parable revealed and how uh, this must be given to us by God's Spirit. We must be given understanding by, uh, by the Spirit. Um, we the meaning of truth must be given to us by God. He must open our hearts to pay attention, as it says with Lydia. And lastly, we heard the parable explained. 
So let me just end with a, an application or two. I, I want to say that if you're here and, and uh, you're either mad at me because of what I just said and what it implies for your son or daughter, then come and talk to me. And uh, maybe you're angry because you say it has to be given, and that's, that offends you. And then come and talk to me. And um, if you're just kind of here and you feel like you're on the outside and like I'm trying to talk above you and put you down, then come and talk to me. Um, I sure want you to hear uh, that Christ died on the cross to pay for sins. And if you've not yet trusted him, I want, I want to talk about that with you. So come and talk to me or call me or something. And you that know Christ, uh, I know many of you in the room do, won't you please use this to, to think about, again, not in a judgmental way. I don't mean putting your heads together and you know that this would be gossip you know we don't want to oh there's hard soil if i've ever seen it you know <laughs> we're, we're not we're told not to do that but we are called to be discerning and boy don't we want to be discerning about the people we love you know and, and where they are with the lord and uh you know Take this and let it become part of how you think through conversations with those near you that say they know Christ and uh, use it in that way to, to be a grid. Um, and just, again, what we want to do is pray for them that God will open their hearts to pay attention, that he will give them ears that hear. So, Jesus, we're grateful for this parable, uh, and I pray for those in front of me. Lord, if, uh, if someone is present today that needs to have their ears opened or their eyes opened, I pray you would do that work in them. Your Spirit would give them understanding of, of Jesus and his payment for sins. And, Lord, the rest of us, I pray you'd make us wise to grow up and to understand that everything is not always as it appears, and that we need to be discerning Christians and love the people around us and not let them get by with the mere profession, but encourage them to bear fruit as well. Lord, use your word to change us uh, and transform us, and we ask Jesus you do this through your spirit who indwells us. Amen.